0: Welcome back to podcast number 29 of Soaring Life Radio with uh, your host, Dr. Carolyn Dolan, where physical therapy, nutrition, and lifestyle meet because how you live your life determines whether or not you soar, inspiring you with information and actionable steps so you can reduce pain, optimize healing, and improve function naturally at work, at home, and life, and especially during recovery from injury, surgery, or painful conditions. This is a podcast for the open-minded, obstinate need not apply. All right, guys, so um, uh, today I'm going to focus a little bit on the opioid epidemic um, of the United States. Uh, I actually didn't anticipate this would be something I might focus on, um, except when I was researching for my thesis um, related to um, more natural means of recovery from injury, I started investigating the side effects of pharmaceutical use as it is used to manage pain. And so I came across the opioids, um, and as well as NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, and things like Tylenol, things that are over-the-counter. Um, and it started to make a pretty interesting picture. Um, and so I recently went to a town hall meeting here in my local Reno, Nevada, um, both my husband and I went, and they were hosting the author, Sam, I'm going to say his name wrong, I'm sorry, but Sam Quinones, um, who wrote The True Tale of America's Opioid Epidemic called Dreamland. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time today going over really the causes or like the history of the development of this problem, um, but in summary... Um, This is a big problem, and it's been driven by multiple factors, both the pharmaceutical industry, our changes in our society, um, healthcare industry, and trying to alleviate all suffering of any pain, um, to Medicare policies, where it became the fifth vital sign, asking people their pain, um, as well as there's been some other interesting books I've looked into as well that talk about... You know, we're identifying how the problem arose and why the problem's here. And that's really not so much where I want to focus today because one of the things that I've been trying to focus on in improving one's health or ability to recover from injury is trying to find realistic and simple solutions that are actionable things that can have a really big impact. Um, because we can talk about why all these problems are here and we can come up with all these complicated solutions, including ones where we treat a pharmaceutical drug problem with another pharmaceutical that just seems counterproductive. Um, And clearly our crisis is still growing. But what was most interesting about this talk was, one, where... You know, the numbers of people who are most at risk for developing these addiction problems are obviously the young. Once you are over, I think it was like 30 years old or something, the the risk of addiction, a new addiction developing, much, much less likely. Except that we get these prescriptions for pain to parents, of which their young kids are now grabbing onto these and... um, um, sorry about that, grabbing onto it and then, uh, becoming addicted at a much younger age. So, you know, the guy, the, um, author, um, at the end of his talk said, you know, now you want to know what to do about where's the solution. And he said a couple of things that I found extremely interesting, um, and very telling, but one was, I mean clearly there was mostly health care providers in the audience. And so his number one recommendation was don't prescribe opioids. Simple as that. Don't prescribe them. You know, there there may arguably there may be conditions where it's appropriate. But in general, it's to essentially stop prescribing the opioids. Now, that's where our next podcast, I will delve into a little bit more about what my new program is, um, because it's an alternative to um, the use of the opioids during that recovery process, Um, at minimum, to naturally reduce your pain state, Not, not get rid of it entirely, Um, but to make it more manageable and also to support healing. But we'll get into that more later. But the other thing that this gentleman said, based on his nationwide research um, in all sorts of communities related to this opioid epidemic, is he said it's the sense of community. We need to return to our communities for our children. And so what I want to do is just take a moment um, and read... I have to admit, I have not read his book. I actually really just pulled out to the end because that was the most fascinating part to both my husband and I, was where can we focus on some simple changes that potentially have huge impacts? I mean, th- that this could be just um, pretty amazing that some something little that we could do is restoring faith in our small little communities um, could have such a big impact as far as this opioid crisis and epidemic. Um, so I wanted to read this last section we seem to fear the public sphere. parents hovered over kids alarmed at some menace out in public they accompanied their kids everywhere they went in one case a couple was actually charged with allowing their nine-year-old daughter and her sister to go to the park alone the term quote free-ranging parenting was coined to describe the daring parents who let their kids out of their sight no wonder so many kids boys mostly were diagnosed with adhd and prescribed adderall and other drugs I wish someone would study the incidence of opioid addiction as teens and young adults of people who as kids were diagnosed with ADHD and prescribed drugs like Adderall. They spent their lives indoors, cooped up, bouncing off the walls. I can say this because I was one. Boys are like dogs. They need to run and run and run. When I was a boy in suburban Southern California, we spent our entire free time outside playing. Football, basketball, riding bikes, or just running around. We probably ran three or four miles a day every day. My knees were in almost permanent state of being skinned with scabs growing and being torn off by my rough housing. My mother had a bell from her family's farm in Iowa that she used to ring us home at dinnertime because we were always running around of the house. I've been back to the street where I grew up eight times in the last few years and have yet to see a human being outside. The park where I used to play is always empty. Keeping kids cooped up seems to me connected to the idea that we can avoid pain, avoid danger. It doesn't surprise me to hear that in university, students raised indoors on screens apparently lived in some crystalline terror of any kind of emotional anguish. A 2015 story in the Atlantic called quote, The Coddling of the American Mind, reported on the phenomenon of college students, kids who grew up in the era of hyperprotection from physical pain, demanding to be protected as well from painful ideas. They were demanding professors provide trigger warnings in advance of ideas that might provoke a strong emotional co- content. For example, a novel that describes racial violence. This new campus ethos, the authors wrote, quote, presumes an extraordinary fragility of the collegiate psyche and therefore elevates the goal of protecting students from psychological harm. The ultimate aim, it seems, is to turn campuses into safe spaces where young adults are shielded from words and ideas that make some uncomfortable, end quote. Psychology Today ran a story on quote, declining student resilience that noticed increased neediness in college students, that students had called campus police after seeing a mouse, blaming teachers for poor grades and increasingly seeking help for and apparently having emotional crises over problems of everyday life. Professors, the author continued, quote, described an increased tendency to see a poor grade as a reason to complain rather than a reason to study more, or more effectively. Much of the discussions had to do with the amount of hand-holding faculty do versus the degree to which the response should be something like, buck up, this is college. All of this seems the predictable result of the idea that we should be protected from pain at all cost. As a country, meanwhile, we acted as if consumption and the accumulation of stuff was a path to happiness. We leave family Thanksgivings to go stand in line to buy products, Xboxes, tablets, and the like that keep us isolated and poison our ideas. And we go to do it if we have no choice in the matter. We wound up dangerously separate from each other, whether in poverty or in affluence. Kids no longer play in the street. Parks are underused. Dreamland lies buried beneath a strip mall. Why then do we wonder that heroin is everywhere? In our isolation, heroin thrives. That's its natural habitat, and our very search for painlessness led us to it. Heroin heroin is, I believe, the final expression of values we have fostered for 35 years. It turns every addict into a narcissistic, self-absorbed, solitary hyper-consumer. A life that finds opioids turns away from family and community and devotes itself entirely to self-gratification by buying and consuming one product, the drug that makes being alone not just all right, but preferable. I believe more strongly than ever that the antidote to heroin is community. If you want to keep kids off heroin, make sure people in your neighborhood do things together in public and often. Form your own dreamland and break down those barriers that keep people isolated. Don't have don't have play dates. Just go out and play. Bring people out of their private rooms, whatever forms those rooms take. We might consider living more simply. Pursuit of stuff doesn't equal happiness, as any heroin addict will tell you. People in some places I've been may emerge from this, this plague more compassionate, more grounded, willing to give children experience rather than things, and show them that pain is part of life and often endurable. The antidote to heroin may well be making your kids ride bikes outside with their friends and let them skin their knees. All right, there's much more, obviously, in that book. And there's much more in his summary. But from my personal experience, I've noticed that one, I have been overprotective in some ways of my children. But one of the things I've noticed is that our sense of community in some areas is thriving, in others, it seems to be dwindling. And as we continue to strive, to take our kids out of public school, to be in a place where they're either homeschooled or um, to provide them with some sort of perfect environment so that they can learn or not be exposed to something different from which we are. Um, I have noticed that there's been a decrease in my own um, community locally, you know, where uh, there are people who are... (laughs) not even zoned for our school going to our public school. And then come middle school, the same friends that we've been with for many years are now going to their other schools. And so we lose that community even through the public school. It's been a fascinating experience, but I think that this really drove that home and that I challenge each and every parent or um, professional to work at trying to spend, do one thing that's an effort to reconnecting with your local community i think it's important that we help other communities not within um, our immediate um you know zip code i think it is important to continue to think about that but we cannot do that and sacrifice what we have within our own current community and maybe it's simple as you know what it's okay if my child rides his bike down to the neighbor's house and knocks on the door without me texting mom first Um, Because what's the worst case scenario? They'll say no, that they don't have time for something. Because I, I find it very interesting that, you know, we have isolated ourselves. And he brings up some very important points of we have to just continue to get the kids out there and learning how to deal with struggle and not protect them from that. One of my neighbors mentioned something about, she said, I don't want to rob this struggle from my son. And I thought that was really something very simple you know you're right struggle is not meaning that we're suffering um and some struggle there's growth to come from struggle and some stress and if we as parents don't open our minds to allowing our children to do that then we might be robbing them of the sense of community gosh we watched the movie um the disney movie about all the uh, oh shoot what's it called um just the other day about how uh, joy and sadness um, often come together that without sadness you don't have joy you know so I think it's something to think about and I challenge each and every one of us to find a way to connect to your immediate community um, and and allow your children to have that same connection to your immediate community. It's hard because there's so much information out there. And I think parenting in today's age, given all this information, can be a bit frightening. But even when we're talking about pain with our patients, you know, it's normal to have pain. You know, the absence of pain means that we're not feeling anything. Now, clearly chronic pain states um, are, are different, but you can't, there, there is no drug. There is no medication. That will ever be able to get rid of it in the way that you think is positive. There is always going to be a repercussion. It's about understanding what the message is from that pain. Is it a chronic pain state that now we've learned the pain and we need to do some brain retraining? Is it stress related? Is it that we are forgetting to just take a deep breath because we're so busy running around? Is it that we're not eating well? that we're not even giving our body the adequate nutrients it's required to to perform the healing that following an injury. You know, there's so many different components, yet each one of them are some very simple basics. You know, maybe your sense of community is, tonight I'm going to sit down with my children and my family and we're going to make a meal together. I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated, and I think that's what was most interesting about this talk because as all the other... Um, professionals came up. The health professionals came up. Man, everything they were presenting did not seem like it was going to immediately resolve. I mean, w- not even immediately, but that it wasn't really resolving the o- the problem, the source of the problem. It was a band aid. And maybe we are keeping people alive. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have those um, tools available. But maybe it's something to reconsider. Is where is our where are our energies? Where can we focus our energies to really make an impact? Because we know that this is a complicated problem. It's got a complicated history, and there's a lot of players. But I do believe that if we look hard enough, um, it may take some time, but that there is a more simple solution out there. And maybe it starts with, like this uh, author Sam Quinones brought up, maybe it starts with simply... Restoring our sense of community in your immediate environment for yourself and for your children. All right, that's all for today. That was deep. So, but I think it was very inspiring to me as a parent and as a professional to continue moving forward with both what I'm doing professionally, but also some things that I'm going to continue to work on as a parent. So I'd love to hear from you guys in the notes or in a comment on the podcast. I'll put a link to that book, Dreamland. Um, and maybe I'll someday get a blog going on this again, but enjoy your day, and um, until next time.